Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show all about building and investing in companies, featuring interviews with startup founders, investors, and operators, sharing the best insights into the world of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Isabel Kenyon, founder and CEO of Calibrate, the modern metabolic health business that is changing the way the world treats weight. This is a company that's raised more than $27 million in venture capital, being backed by Forerunner Ventures, Threshold, Redesign Health, and in this episode, we go through how this all got started and what Isabel has done to grow the company so far. As always, the show notes can be found at justgrind.com slash podcast. You can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Isabel Kenyon, founder and CEO of Calibrate. Isabel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and I appreciate you taking the time to come on. And what a crazy year, as I was mentioning before we started here. It's been for you in the last uh, 12 months or so. For people who aren't familiar with Calibrate, what are you doing with this company now? The mission at Calibrate is to change the way the world treats weight. So we launched the business last year in June with our first product, which is a one-year digital metabolic reset. You work with a doctor and a coach to make fundamental changes to your underlying metabolic health. And then about six months later, we announced that we had raised a Series A and are really using that to double down on the product and the tech powering the business. I love this space and I love what you're doing with this, especially in my background being from an exercise sports science degree. And I was working as a personal trainer initially for the first couple of years, helping people with this kind of very thing. Why did you decide to start this company? For me, it was super personal. I was working at a pharmacy startup in New York called Capsule. I was spending a lot of time thinking about what the future of direct-to-consumer pharma looked like. And my mom had a doctor's appointment, learned that she needed to lose weight to get back in control of her health, and was really frustrated. Was like, I've tried it all before. I've done it all before. How do, like, you have to help me find something different to do. And so we found together this doctor at NYU in New York and we were both just so surprised. Who knew that there were doctors who help people lose weight? And then the doctor prescribed a medication called a GLP-1. And again, really surprised. What's a GLP-1? How come people don't know about that? And the more research I did on GLP-1s, the more I realized these medications are amazing. And all of the clinical research we have on them is on the combination of GLP-1s with intensive behavior therapy. And my first question was, well, where do you do that? Where do you get the combination of GLP-1 <laughs> behavior therapy? And I started emailing the people who published the research and they said, you don't really. <laughs> it only really what? happens in clinical trials. And in the real world, doctors don't really have the ability to do that. And so started to think about why does this exist in clinical trials? Because we have all this access for clinical trials, right? We have massive budgets behind clinical trials where we can show how to really optimize the drug. Why doesn't it exist in the real world? What What is difficult for doctors about providing this? And how do we build a business that can really take this and, and make it available to everyone everywhere? That's interesting. There was such a gap in the in the market, and it it seems so obvious. And obviously, in hindsight, once someone does, once someone does it, right? With us, then, then how did you decide to start? In terms of what were the first things you need to do to actually make this into a company? Two things. One is to find the experts. So tracking down the people who would be real partners and putting together the clinical care pathway. So our first hire was our chief medical officer. And then the advisory board that we put together of people who really knew the science and really knew the research so that they could help us put together the clinical pathway. And then the second is just finding partners that I was really excited to work with on it. The first partners I found were Redesign Health. They're based in New York. They only build consumer healthcare businesses, and they're really good at it. And so I spent a lot of time with them. I actually did an entrepreneur in residence there with them thinking about what does the next generation of consumer health look like and how do we build businesses around that? And then the second investors that we found are Forerunner. 
um, Nicole Johnson there in particular, who's just so incredibly thoughtful about what the future of consumer healthcare should look like and how you build for the consumer first. And so started working with those guys last winter and have been so lucky to basically get the benefit of both of those different platforms to build a product for consumers that we launched in June. One of the things I'm curious about, because especially with founders who, you know, they're super early stages, they need these partnerships, these are essential for their business. What's the pitch like? Or what was the things that got these people to be like, yes, Isabel, we are on board with what you're doing. We love this. What was it about it? What was the pitch? You know, for both, I think it's just a meeting of the minds because they're really betting on a person at that stage. And they're really betting on what have you done? What, how do you work? What type of team will you build? And will the, will you and them work together well? Because more than anything, your investors are partners from day one. For you launching in, in June of 2020, so we're recording this in, in January 2021, when you, when you launched, what was the go-to-market strategy with that? How many people kind of initially were you having test this out? I'm curious about the, the starting days. It's such an interesting thing. So we did all of this consumer research and largely driven by redesign in their platform and their style of, of launching companies. And we found consistently that millennials would be early adopters here and that older women, women in kind of either during menopause or just post-menopause would be fast followers. That's what the research told us over and over and over again. And so we built the brand around that. And we built the brand to go out to millennials and find millennials. And in my heart of hearts, I knew I was building this business for my mom. And so it felt off, but that was what the research showed. And so we launched the business with that in mind and really quickly found that it was a total inverse, that millennials don't really have time or money to invest in themselves right now. And <laughs> they're homeschooling, Zoom schooling, you know, it's totally, totally crazy. But that older women were ready for Calibrate and they wanted to start with Calibrate. And so really quickly we pivoted because we learned that off the bat, our average member was north of 50. Um, today, our average member is 52. And so really rebuilt the business and the brand and the promise and the, and the messaging around that woman and, and how you access her. And I keep saying woman because 90% of our members are women. With that, I'm curious. I mean, having to change then, understand that you got, you predicted maybe the wrong demographic initially, <laughs> but understanding that you had to switch, what did that involve? Because a lot of you know startups and founders are going to go through multiple pivots with their companies. What did that evolve in terms of the change once you got that insight into who the customer would really Just be? Just a tremendous amount of conversations with people who, one, come to your website, so they learn about it somehow, and then don't convert. Right. So we would just email them and say, I'll send you an Amazon gift card if you'll talk to me. And then two, um, conversations with people who do become members and how do they talk about it to their friends and family? How do they explain it? How do they share it? Why do they share it? Who, what did what was unclear to them when they were signing up? What could be more clear? What have they what were what have they been surprised by? What do they love about the program? What do they hate about the program? And how do we take that messaging back to the top of the funnel? One of the things I just want to pause here and, and take a step back for a second. So we were working at Capsule before, and you obviously had this idea for this. Take me through that that transition or you know, how long were you kind of working this on the side or did you stop right away? I know that's been something where a lot of entrepreneurs are debating starting something. Do they dive right in full time? Do they work on it nights and weekends? How did that go for you? It is the biggest cliche and it is so true. So I just want people to hear it directly from me. I was thinking about a lot of different ideas and... I was thinking I could work on any of them and all of them would be really exciting and interesting, but I wasn't <laughs> obsessing over any of them. And then I had this idea and I was obsessed and you wake up thinking about it and you go to sleep thinking about it and you realize this is what you want to spend the next 20 years of your career working on. And it is a totally different feeling than the feeling of like, I'm kind of interested in this idea and I think I can make it work. And you have to wait until you have that feeling <laughs> because 
you are thinking about it and working on it 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and you are going to be doing it for years and years and years. And so I think I just, I always tell people this, like, wait until you have the like obsession because the like really great idea could definitely get started on it is not enough. Yeah, <laughs> there, there's so many ideas out there. And it has, it's a thing that people mention around not even just product market fit, but founder market fit and being the right founder for this particular company, which if you're obsessed about it and you have some experience in that and you have a personal connection as well, so many things around that that make it seem like, oh, yeah, this is the company you should be creating, you should be growing. Because to your point, it is such a, a long journey in terms of these companies. And I've talked to so many people now at this point, some being public companies, some, you know, just getting started. But understanding this journey is years and years and years. And going back then to when you had launched in June, you knew you had to kind of change the the messaging around once you get a, a feel for the target customer. From there, once you switch, then what has been the customer acquisition side of things? How are you getting people to know about this? Obviously, it's so helpful for people, but how are you getting people to know about what Calibrate's doing? Two pieces that were really helpful to us in the early days. One is organic word of mouth press. We sent, I sent an email to 20,000 people that I found contact information for <laughs> across all of the email addresses I've ever had. I love that and, hustle. Um, we really started with our networks and started with asking people to share broadly and asking people who got started to share broadly often. Um, and then we amplified that with press and telling the story and giving people a way. It's, you know, from your past experience, but it's a really difficult category for people to talk about. and. Part of the mission, our mission to change the way the world treats weight is to change the dialogue around it, change the conversation about it, change the way we think about it. And so part of it was giving people tools to talk about this for the first time and to think about it differently. And a lot of that went into the messaging around why why did we focus on metabolic health instead of weight loss? And why do we think about how we can educate consumers around what drives long-term sustainable weight loss? Is metabolic health, improving your metabolic health, investing in your metabolic health? And how do we change that conversation for them? And so the second channel that was really effective for us was Facebook. And it was effective because you can just test and learn there in such a meaningful, powerful way. We can put a headline up and see that no one clicks on it immediately. <laughs> and we can put another headline up and see that everyone clicks on it immediately. It's such a cool feedback loop for an early business to have in terms of what works and what doesn't work and who does it work for, right? Because you get all of the customer data back too, which is it works with 30-year-old women, but it doesn't work with 50-year-old women, or it doesn't work with men, or it does work with men. And I think that's such a powerful tool for an early stage startup to have. Yeah, being able to test and iterate that quickly is something that's it also can be kind of addicting as well, actually, when you're actually in the weeds and figuring out, oh my God, we should we should test this, we should test this. And it, it's important to figure out the messaging and figure out the direction of obviously where your company's going to go with this. From that as well, I think it'd be helpful for people to understand what does it look like for someone using your program? What is this year of using Calibrate? What does this entail exactly? To circle back on your last point there for one more thing, I think... It's such an it's amazing it's an amazing feedback loop, but you're right, it can be addicting. And so I think you have to be really focused on what funnel works for your customer, for your target customer, right? And ours, we know it's not going to be something where you see a Facebook ad and you click and you purchase. We know that it needs to be a full funnel. And so what we were using it for was really to understand the messaging so that we could build a full funnel, which we were able to launch this January when there's new year and new you and people are really excited about really doubling down on their health. And yeah. so we took those learnings from the first six months and said, how do we use those in a full funnel marketing campaign that goes everywhere from audio and TV to word of mouth to influencer to digital? No, that's a that's a great point, and I think I'm glad you highlighted that because it is one part of the strategy. And to your point, then being able to figure out the messaging is key, and then using that, then obviously you're getting people on on board to to use Calibrate. Then 
what does this entail? You check if you're eligible or not. So you answer five or six questions to make sure that you are eligible for the program, that it would be a good fit for you. And if you are eligible, then you sign up and you tell us you're making a one-year commitment and you tell us everything about your health history. And that was so important to me that we did that online. So you were doing that from the privacy of your home. You had the chance to answer really thoughtfully and you felt like you were going to get something meaningful out of that. And so what we do is we take that data, everything about your family health history, your personal health history, your highest weight, your lowest weight, your behaviors at those points in time. So what was your sleep like at your highest weight? What was your sleep like at your lowest weight? These are like real personal questions for people where they need some time to reflect. And so we give people the privacy and the ability to do that. And then we take the information and we give it to our doctors in a really meaningful way. So instead of when you're at the doctor's office, you fill out pages and pages of forms, then you walk in the doctor's office and you're not sure that they've even seen the pages and pages of forms that you just filled out. (laughs) All the same questions again. We really wanted our doctors to take that information and use it. So after you fill that out, our doctors order labs for you. You go get the lab work done at Questor LabCorp locally. Then you get on a 45 minute video via Zoom appointment with your doctor and your doctor has all of the really meaningful information about you. What's important about you? What do you think your superpowers are now in each of those behaviors? What do you want your superpowers to be in each of those behaviors? What are you trying to learn during the program? What do you want to happen to your metabolic health during the program? And you have a real face-to-face video conversation. I was talking to someone about this last night, but I think telemedicine has been so incredibly interesting for doctors because Mm. it is increasing the amount of time you're spending literally just looking someone in the eyes, right? You don't have the computer <laughs> screen in between, like the computer screen is still in between you because it's virtual, but you don't have it in between you in the physical way that you do in an office where your doctor might be typing it notes into the computer, but also talking to you, but you're not really making eye contact. And so I think this direct eye contact has really changed the way that doctors think about that interaction. And it's such a powerful part of our program that the first thing you do is spend 45 minutes with a doctor who is passionate about using metabolic health to improve your weight and who is passionate about making a plan for you to do that. And so you and your doctor work through it. There's a concept in medicine called shared decision-making that's really, really important to us, which is the idea that you feel like you understand what the doctor has told you. You feel like you understand how they've explained your blood work to you. You feel like you understand how they've explained any diagnoses to you. You feel like you have a plan together and you've made a shared decision for that plan. And so that's what we really want to happen in that first appointment. Then you start working with your coach and you start working through our 52-week curriculum. So intensive behavior therapy means how do I change your behavior in each of these four pillars? So the four pillars are eating, sleeping, exercising, and emotional health. And how do I help you over the course of the year get to big goals across each of those things by breaking it down into small goals? So we start by saying everyone over the course of the program should get to seven to eight hours of sleep a night. And to do that, there might be 10 different weeks where you focus on a sleep goal, whether that's making time and space to sleep, whether that's blue light, whether that's phone and room, all of the different things that will help you do each week is like one goal that helps you get closer to that seven to eight hours. So it builds on itself over the course of the year. And your coach is really your accountability check through that. So you're also having video visits with your coach to make sure that you're setting the goals, that you're tracking, that you understand your progress and you understand where you are in your year and where you're going. With this program, obviously it's it's done well enough and then people are adopting it. So you raised you know, $22.5 million recently or at least announced it recently to kind of fuel the funding and, and everything else with the business in terms of building out the platform for what I've read at least. With that though, growing from your initial team and less than a year ago to I read you're over 50 team members now, what have been the challenges with that? It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> when we left our office in March, there were about eight people working on Calibrate, and there are now 52 people working on Calibrate. <laughs> the balance of them virtually and that we haven't met them and they haven't met each other. And that's an incredibly challenging thing. Yeah. Because it's all burnt out of Zoom. I'm, I couldn't be happier that we're recording this podcast, not on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I love the audio format. <laughs> you know, early in the pandemic, it was fun to have Zoom parties and it was fun to have Zoom happy hours and it was fun to, you know, hang out with your colleagues on Zoom. But now we're like, put the Zoom away. <laughs> And so I think it's been really, really challenging to build a team and to build a culture without that in-person connectivity and without that um, without that kind of structured social interaction that you would normally have in a physical workplace. And so what's been really, really, really important to me is finding people who are really, really passionate about the mission for every role, uh, whether that's on the executive team or that's front lines as a coach or a doctor, but making sure that everyone is really passionate about the mission, because if if you're not motivated by your job right now, it's really easy to coast in your job right now in a virtual world, I think. Yeah, incredibly easy, especially with with everyone not being in an office and having the energy from that. You mentioned the passion. Obviously, you want people that are incredibly passionate about what you're doing at Calibrate. How do you vet for that? Or what are the, some of the questions you're asking to figure that out? We're asking people, what do they really love doing and what do they really hate doing? And we're saying, how does that overlap with what we need done at Calibrate? And how do I make sure that I'm putting you in a role where you will be doing something you love doing all day and where you will not be doing something you hate doing all day? And that then we can really amplify, you know, everyone has a connection to this. 75% of American adults qualify for the Calibrate program. That number is forecast to go to 90% in 2030. Jeez. So everyone knows someone that they think is impacted by this and that they think would be a good member at Calibrate. And I think that makes it easier to recruit because everyone has a personal connection to the category. Uh, on that note, I, I know that's how you're, you're vetting candidates a little bit as part of it. Where have you looked or what have you done? Have you gone you know, using a recruiting firm? Have you talked to your investors to get intros to people on the team? Because building a team is everything, especially early on for a really fast-growing startup. How have you gone about that process of actually building the team and finding these team members? There is nothing we haven't done. LinkedIn is the number one used app on my phone every week. <laughs> <laughs> we ask for intros. We use recruiters. We network through all of our existing investors, all of new investors, prospective investors. Everyone we meet becomes a network. If someone's not right for a role, I ask them who would be right for the role. Um, and then I just spend a tremendous amount of time looking for people and a tremendous amount of time talking to people and calibrating about the types of people that we want on the team and the, and the backgrounds and the experiences. How much time, how much of your time is spent on that today? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're really focused on that. fundraising or recruiting, and <laughs> right now we are recruiting. <laughs> yeah, having just fundraised, yes, then you switch back to recruiting. Uh, with with that as well, I mean, this is this your first venture back startup that you've uh, founded and you're in the founding team? It is. Okay. With that then, understanding that, what's been helpful for you uh, along the way with understanding how to build this company and going through these phases of these of scaling? I think the, the most helpful thing has been experience building early stage businesses in the past. I have been early at several other startups. And so yep. that experience is just so incredibly invaluable as you think about what did we really do right there? What, I, what do I wish I'd done differently there? And how can I do it differently this time? Or how can I do it the same way this time? And that is for sure, by far and away the biggest. I think also it just helps to ask a lot of questions. It just helps to constantly, everyone you meet, ask, 
what do they really like about this? What do they really dislike about this? What works in their organization? What doesn't work in their organization? But really taking advantage of the fact that you are talking to people all day, every day, and making sure that you're taking that information and just using it to make the team better and to make your recruiting process better. But I think the flip is that you're spending, you know, the time that you're not spending recruiting, you're spending making sure that your current team is successful. And so making sure that they have a clear vision to execute against and that they are really empowered and enabled to do that. So important and such a challenge from talking to people, the, the team building side of it. And for people who don't know who are going to be founders, I mean, that's this is the name of the game. Everyone thinks you get to decide all these uh, different things and actually build the company. In some ways you are, but you're actually building the team and fundraising for the most part. Um, and then obviously there's a sales aspect of it as well that uh, comes into play with kind of both of those as well. You're just selling. From, from this as well, you're growing the team tremendously and the product you have initial version, you kind of adjust based on the messaging at least. Has the product itself in terms of that program that you mentioned, has that evolved or changed since you launched? You know, It's only been like seven months. Uh, how has that evolved or has it evolved? It hasn't evolved yet. We are building the year two products now. So figuring out what, what do members do beyond year two. We know that they're using Calibrate every single day. And so we have a real relationship with them. And so how do we keep supporting them for the rest of their lives? And what do the year two and beyond products look like? With that being so valuable in terms of how it can impact people's lives, something that's not really talked about a lot with companies, or I'd say it's 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 really something that's you're missing out on is pricing strategy and how you think about that. How have you gone about deciding on price or what to charge people for this kind of impactful program? I think it comes back to my earlier answer, but you just talk to consumers. You ask consumers, what would you pay for that? How would you think about the cost of that? What does what do you compare the cost of that to? And we just talked to a tremendous amount of consumers before we launched, and we continue to talk to our consumers about what's valuable about this, what's not valuable about this, and how much would you would you pay for it? Is there much adaptation or you know adjusting that along the way? It's harder to test some with, with some business models in terms of testing pricing, but uh, how have you have you have you changed that much, or has that uh, adjusted much? It's incredibly difficult because if you think about it, it's so unfair that someone could join one day and then a week later the price could be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we really tried not to adjust it. There are there are pieces that we've adjusted over the course of the year, and we try to do it through testing, through really like understanding where would consumers find the value here, and what what should the value of the, what should the price be based on that value. But I think it's it's hard, and I, I really yeah. admire businesses that don't discount, and I really admire businesses that say this is our pricing and it's based on our costs and. This is where um, we can build a healthy business. And I think that's something that I've tried to keep real perspective on for us as well. Yeah. And then I know we, we touched on this a little bit, but with the recent funding, obviously it's helpful to continue growing the business. And you mentioned growing the team is really what you're focusing on a lot. But what are some of those other next steps with the business itself? Like what are some of the next things you're really focusing on? So the biggest one for us is to really invest in the product and engineering side at this point. And I think this is another good takeaway for early stage founders, which is you have to prioritize different pieces of the business early stage because you can't work on everything early stage. And so the first product we got into market was entirely built on top of stapled together white labeled tools. Mm -hmm. And so 
that works, but it will yep. break. <laughs> broke it. Um, yep. So then you start building purpose-built tools. And I think, you know, you have to decide what makes sense when in the, in the scope of your business. For some people, it is product first. For some people, it is service first. For some people, it is marketing and messaging first. And for us, it was really first, let's nail the clinical pathway. What are we actually providing as a service? Then let's nail how we talk about it, what the messaging is, how we get people interesting, how we see if there's product market fit. And then the third piece was, okay, now we know this works, so we have to scale it. So let's build the product to do that. And let's figure out what does it look like to really take this to 10x, 100x, 1,000x. You mentioned early on some of the partners that you obviously brought on in the very beginning to start with this. How do you look at partnerships today or what type of partners are you looking at at, at this point as well? I know you're looking at, you mentioned obviously just now, you're looking at growing the team and, and engineering and the product itself. But in terms of partners for growth or distribution or anything along that, how do you think about that with Calibrate? Today, we're really focused on the direct-to-consumer business because it works and yeah. it, it will prove the outcomes for the product that let the rest of the business work. And so I tell the team all the time, we're going to spend the next 12 to 18 months focused on outcomes for these members, the direct-to-consumer members, because that unlocks the ability to increase access later. So if we say we have 12 to 18 months of amazing data on how people did on our program, then we'll be able to get other people to pay for the program. So employers, the government on Medicare and Medicaid, pharma companies, insurance companies thinking about total cost of care for their members. And that's really, really unlocked by outcomes. And so I tell the team, focus today on outcomes, and then we'll focus on access after that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've talked to a number of people in the, the health industry, and that is everything. I mean, getting those results, then they it really makes it a lot easier on the back end as you move forward from there as well. And and one of the things I'm curious about with there being you know other options potentially for people in terms of what they could do to get healthier, how do you look at competition with, with Calibrate? I hope, I want to create a category. And so I want there to be competitors. And when we think again, back to the mission to change the way the world treats weight, we're saying that we want to change the conversation, which means we want people to accept that this is a biological condition that can be treated with biology. Yeah. And then I want to say, and then I want to get it delivered. I want to get the care delivered. And so I want to create a new standard of care here for weight. And to do that, you need competitors and you need yeah. people doing the same thing you're doing and making it better. And so I think we are really focused on making sure that the data on what we're doing is available to everyone. I want primary care doctors to think I should be doing this with my patients too. Isabel, you mentioned that it's obviously really difficult to grow a company and starting a company and then scaling a company is challenging. And all people who are going to be founders should understand that if you've probably heard it a lot of times already. How do you get through the challenging days that you have within the business? For me, you just really focus on the mission. And I do think different things motivate different people. But for me, I just really focus on how are we achieving the mission today? And we have a member love Slack channel where Ooh. all of our team shares things that our members have said in Facebook comments or in coaching sessions about why Calibrate is working for them and how much they love Calibrate. And that is the reason I get out of bed to check the member love Slack channel. <laughs> and Good positive is, start. <laughs> come back to the impact that your work is having. Yeah, that, that is something that's been echoed a couple of times and it, it does drive people forward. And obviously your, your company is inherently helping people, which is such a great mission to have. And you're helping people be healthier as well. How do you invest in your own health first, you know, physically and mentally? The first is I follow our program. So 
no one's perfect. Um, but I take of all of the different behavior therapy pieces and make sure that I'm trying to do those things as much as possible. I try to schedule a meeting where I'm walking. I try to make sure that I'm walking after meals. I try to make sure that I'm drinking enough water. I try to make sure that I'm getting enough sleep, but it's a total challenge and you do have to basically reset all the time. This week, as we announced the fundraise, I didn't sleep for a couple of nights and that's a total disaster for me. So last night I was in bed at 30. <laughs> yep. Oh, sounds like my bedtime. Um, going to bed early typically is, is the best way for me, at least in terms of having then the morning to do what we want and have time, which is great. With with you as well then, so understand that obviously you have this program that's built up for you that you can, you can follow as well. On the side of being a founder and learning more, growing more, there's the experience you've had previously at Capsule, which I'm sure was tremendous. Have there been any other, any particular resources, uh, particularly, I love books, so I always love hearing any book suggestions that have been helpful for you that might be helpful for other founders? Persuasion is my all-time favorite. And all of the habit books, the Charles Duhigg books too, just really focusing on understanding who your customer is and what they want from you and how you, how you, especially when you're category creating, how you convince them that they want something totally new and different is the most, is where I try to spend the most time learning. Yeah, that's a great one. <laughs> I love that one as well. And, and one thing's too, looking at venture capital, there's a small percentage of venture capital that goes to women and small percentage that goes to underrepresented founders overall. Has that been a challenge for you? Has that been something you've noticed? How, how have you overcome that? I'm curious about how that's been for you. It's really interesting. So our first three investors are all women. And I think it's a really good reflection of the customer and the fact that 90% of our members are women. And they, I think it just, it clicks for women in for female investors a little bit better and a little bit more easily because they can envision themselves or they know people or they can understand the mindset of the member. And I think that's been it just kind of, it's been a really interesting path for me to have conversations with investors and just see the different reactions and responses. But I've had such incredibly positive feedback from women investors that I think it's been a really interesting, it's been a really interesting path to, un to understand. Yeah. And it even obviously makes the point then as well for venture capital firms that don't have women, don't have people of color, they're missing out on so many great companies because of this exact thing you just mentioned. $290 billion market. <laughs> so if you don't get it, you are definitely missing out. <laughs> and it's it's also a reason why I love, I just recently joined Vitalized Venture Group led by a woman, Gail Wilkinson. I mean, that's it's actually a big reason why I decided to join. And I looked at their venture capital firms before, before but it weren't the same representation. I think having that is such a value add and, and such a, benefit and it's really that you're finding an untapped potential in the massive markets when you look at diverse founders in different areas and we're seeing it start to change a little but obviously it's so far behind that there's such a far way to go with it um but it's also a reason why i love having uh, underrepresented founders and investors on the show to amplify those messages because i think it's important to others out there to see that it can be done uh which is incredible and obviously what you building with Calibre is, is incredible as well. Seeing the fast growth in only you know less than a year is pretty remarkable. And and one of the last things I'm curious about with Calibrate, I mean, what is the big vision? What do you think in five, 10, 15 years, like what will this company be? Back to the mission, right? We wanna really change the way the world treats weight. So we want to change the conversation. We want to have a cultural shift in how we think about weight, how we think about our metabolic health, why it's important. And then we want to treat people 
and we want to treat as many people as possible. And there are 175 million of them in the US. And I think the more people that we can treat, the better. And the more that we can change the conversation, the better. And finally, if there's any other advice or guidance or things you'd like to mention to uh, aspiring founders, even founders are just early stage already, anything else you'd like to share with the audience just based on your experience with the last year or so, uh, plus a calibrate? The last, the mirror of that first piece that I gave earlier, which is that you have to be obsessed with the idea, is the second, which is you have to be incredibly persistent. And if you want to give up ever, it won't work. And if you don't want to give up ever, it will work. And I think, you know, there's lots of luck and there's lots of fortune and there's lots of timing involved, but it is also at the end of the day, entirely about persistence. Have you always been persistent? Has it always been yeah. something you've yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so innately as even even when you're young, I'm just curious. Yeah, I'll give you an example. I wanted to work for a guy named Chris Birch since I was in college. Mm-hmm. He's a lifelong retail entrepreneur and investor. He started a really successful retail business early in his, you know, while he was in college and sold it early in his career. And I emailed him for years. <laughs> and I Whoa. had other people email him for years. And finally, his I was working in Hong Kong. Finally, it was years, two or three years after college. And his assistant emailed me and said, Chris is going to be in Singapore for a conference. Do you want to meet him? And I was like, yes, I'll be there. Why didn't <laughs> It was like Tuesday at 1 p.m. I took the day off work. I flew to Singapore. I met him. I was like, you have to hire me. He was like, who are you? Why are you? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, "Uh, I don't think I'm going to hire you. And I just kept emailing him every three months until finally he said, okay, there's a role on my team. Come to New York. You can work for me. But it was maybe five years after I first got in touch with him. And I think that you just have to be persistent about things that you want. That's incredible. I, I love that so much. And and with that as well, I mean, did you think that you'd be a founder? I do. I think both of my parents are uh, are entrepreneurs. They run small businesses and they are also both salespeople. And so I grew up listening to them in the car, talking on the phone, selling people. And I think I just knew that was for me. And I knew that it was, it took an incredible amount of my work. My parents are probably the two hardest working people I know. And I just, it just felt like it was in my DNA that that's what I wanted to do. Isabel, where can people go to learn more about Calibrate and connect with you as well if they would like to? Join Calibrate.com and we're on uh, Twitter and Instagram, Calibrate and IT Kenyon. And then finally, any ass of the audience, anything you're looking for in particular? (laughs) You know, if you think that someone in your life would benefit from Calibrate, then tell them about it. Start talking to them about it. Tell them why improving metabolic health changes their weight and tell them why it's really important that they understand that. Isabel, this has been a lot of fun. I'm excited for where you're going. It's been only a short amount of time, already made a ton of progress and the mission is amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. If you want to follow along on the socials for all things Just Go Grind and with me as well, find just go grind on instagram and twitter at just go grind you can find me on twitter at justin gordon 212 find me on instagram justin gordon 8 thank you so much for listening have a great day